indeed, the development of parks may be said to be in direct ratio to their use. The Outline World Dispatch. Wednesday, April 26, 2017. I'm Kalila Deuce. On today's dispatch, Adrian Jeffries on some positive changes to Google. Quote, structural changes that will hopefully weed out all the misleading and offensive stuff. Laura June on what The Handmaid's Tale is really about. The foundation of the book is her daughter. And Jeff Ihaza on Gorillas. Album releases don't need branded apps. Here's the dispatch. The future. Yesterday, Google announced that it's making some, quote, structural changes that will hopefully weed out all the misleading and offensive stuff. Are dolphins aliens? According to Weekly World News, Beijing dolphins are the descendants of aliens that came to Earth in U.S. As well as give users a better way to report it. Hello. Hi, Danny. It's Adrian. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Not bad. Danny Sullivan is the founding editor of the website Search Engine Land, and he's been writing about this topic for over 20 years. So what did Google announce today? Let's start there. They announced that they had been thinking about these issues they've been having with fake news and problematic searches, and that they have three specific things they're doing to combat it. The ability for people to give them feedback if they find a search suggestion is perhaps offensive or having some issues with it. The ability to give feedback if you get a featured snippet that tells you, say, you know, President Obama is planning to commit a coup. Or um, also that they're trying to improve the quality of their search results overall so that you're less likely to get kind of weird conspiracy theories when you do searches and more likely to get authoritative and perhaps trustworthy content. Yeah, and I noticed that they told you about this early and you got to actually talk to some of the people involved in this effort. Yep, I had a Which I'm so jealous of. (laughs) Well, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You know, my, my takeaway from talking with them is similar to the takeaways I've had in the past, which is they really do see this as a problem and they really do care. They're not just sort of this monolithic, we're just out to make money type of thing. Because from their perspective, I think as engineers, they looked at these kinds of searches and said, well, it's such a tiny amount. It's like 0.25% of the searches that happen on any given day kind of fall into this category. So there's bigger things we need to deal with, like, you know, spam that impacts many more searches. If Google can tell that 0.25% of its daily searches are pulling up content that is misleading or offensive, I think was their their terminology, if they can figure out that number, why can't they just target those problem searches and problem results and take care of the problem? Well, that's an excellent question, and I wish I knew <laughs> the answer myself, as well as how they can so precisely come up with that figure. You know, I asked them, what are you doing? How are you changing these search results that you think they're going to be better? And, you know, they really didn't get into the specifics. But my best guess is what's happening is they want to better identify content that they think is authoritative and let that override content that perhaps is a better contextual match. It was interesting to me that the more visible things that they announced today are the lower impact things. I think it was trying to encourage more feedback from users, giving them more ways to report answers that they thought were bad, results or autocomplete that they thought were bad. Like that stuff was more visible, but feels less lower impact than the changes they'll make to the actual page rankings, which of course they can't reveal basically any detail about. Yeah. And I, you know, but I, I think they view this as all working in combination. They want to take that feedback from people to do the same kind of thing that they get when they have these quality raters that they actually hire, that they're hoping that that feedback 
from everywhere overall helps them improve the algorithms. You said this is a wait and see situation. You're really good at testing Google's changes in the wild. What are you going to be looking for to see if this update was effective in removing bad answers and bad results? Well, I'll probably keep trying some of these, you know, crazy questions like, like, like it's still, it's still the case you can ask Google, like who invented homework and the current answer is still like this Roberto guy in Venice in 1053. Damn that guy. Yeah. Um, Which is this completely bogus thing. So I'll watch for some of the things like that. The really hard thing is there's no way I can run a battery test and say conclusively now it's X percent better. (laughs) You know, ultimately I think it'll be, measured by whether or not people um, generally are getting less upset with Google and you have less of these flare-ups and that there's less fodder out there where people feel, yes, you know, this is this, this warrants an article or someone's going to warrant a blog post or a Twitter because, you know, they just feel like it's more of the same. Well, thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Culture. Today, Hulu's premiering their TV adaptation of The Handmaid's Tale. Laura June got an early look at the first three episodes, which are out today. Um, As someone who's never read The Handmaid's Tale, can you tell us what it's about, like just sort of top level? Sure. The Handmaid's Tale is a novel written by a Canadian writer, Margaret Atwood, who is very famous for what she calls speculative fiction, but is sometimes also called science fiction. It is a novel about, uh, told from the perspective of one um, unnamed female character living in the United States, um, in which the government of the United States has been toppled by a revolutionary very small, seemingly revolutionary group. There have been a series of like ecological environmental problems or disasters, which are sort of unspecified, which have presumably um, reduced really drastically the fertility of women. So the women who can have children uh, are presumably a very small, there's a very small number of them. And they're like the hot commodity in this new nightmare world of the United States. And they're sort of taken from their homes and from their families and uh, trained to be handmaids to the sort of like upper class families of the United States in order to give birth for them so that these families can have children. Wow. That's really dark. I would describe myself as not that excited to watch it every week, but (laughs) it's really, I mean, I'm definitely excited to see the next episode. I needed like a palate cleanse after the first three So we were talking earlier about how you think that The Handmaid's Tale is really about the main character's daughter. In these first three episodes, there's been the open, one of the opening sequences is of her losing her daughter. And part of the reason that she gets caught actually is her daughter. And the book, that is the foundation of it. The foundation of the book is here is a woman trying to stay alive and survive and be obedient, even in the face of like having to you know, have sex with a person she doesn't want to have sex with, trying to get pregnant for a family she does not have any relationship with. Um, And she's sort of obedient and quiet partially because she wants to survive to find out where her daughter is. And so that is like the backbone of this story. And I think the first time I read it 10 years ago, um, I was single and I didn't have any kids and I didn't have any like 
plan on having them. I read it and I was like, uh, the sex really was the thing that like struck me. I was like, this woman is being raped. The kid, it's not like I didn't read the part. I read that part of the book. It just didn't really occur to me that that was um, the sort of underpinning framework for the entire book. Like, is that the common narrative for The Handmaid's Tale as someone who, like, hasn't read it or hasn't seen the show? I'm curious. Or um, is is it, you know, do people approach it from different perspectives all the time? Well, I mean, I think actually the show, as they're presenting it to us now, and I've only seen the first three episodes, yeah, I, I actually think that there's a lot of ways to come to it. And I think that, like, what I'm interpreting is only one way of interpreting it. I think that the most common way and somewhat like the most timely way to interpret it is look at this horrific nightmare world. You know, the United States seems to so quickly and easily have changed politically and women have lost the rights to have jobs and own property. And so I don't think that um, so far even the show has really primarily shown itself to be like interpreting Atwood's story the way that I do. (laughs) Thanks, Laura. Bye. If you want to hear more about The Handmaid's Tale, Laura co-hosts The Red Center, a new podcast about the show. It starts today. Culture. In 2014, the band U2 partnered with Apple to make its 13th studio album come preloaded on every iPhone 6. U2's new album, Songs of Innocence, is going out for free to a half a billion people in the next five seconds. Five, four, three, two, one. Wow, that's instant gratification. It backfired. Customers complained about the unwanted presence of Bono on their phones. Did that really happen? We're not kidding, that just happened. And that forced Apple to share official instructions on how to delete the album. A year earlier, Jay-Z struck a $20 million deal with Samsung that guaranteed digital copies of his Magna Carta Holy Grail album to Samsung users. And then in the fall of 2015, Rihanna continued the trend with her Samsung-sponsored anti-diary campaign. The stunt ushered fans on a months-long goose chase for her album Anti, which would eventually leak on Tidal by accident. Later on that year, Usher launched a pop-up website to promote his single, Chains, in which listeners had to look into the eyes of victims of police violence before they were allowed to hear new music. Major labels have become obsessed with using tech gimmicks as a crutch for marketing rollouts. Take Humans, the new album from The Gorillas. It was played in its entirety at a secret show in London. Then it was available, briefly, in the animated band's exclusive app. In the app, which is available on both iOS and Android, you can turn your phone in any direction to navigate through the animated band's lair. Or if you have a VR headset, you can put that on and look around. In one corner, a gramophone can usher you out of the app and into a browser window of a Spotify playlist curated by the band's fictional bassist, Murdoch. Or you can click on a flickering analog TV, which will take you out of the app again into a YouTube video of the character being sort of not really interviewed. Yeah. Did you ever think that you would end up here? What, in the studio? Yeah. Moving your phone around to navigate the room is interesting for the first few minutes, sure. But a link to new music would have really been fine. These branded apps function like a barrier between fans and the music they actually want to hear. 
their clunkiness has become an unavoidable part of the album release process. Last month, when the band Local Natives released their new single, I Saw You Close Your Eyes, they launched a confounding web app that required users to actually close their eyes in order to hear the track. The app hardly worked. Pusha T premiered the song Untouchable on his label's website with a special tool that required users to hold down their mouse to listen. Why would anyone put their fans through that? It probably makes sense from a business perspective. Jay-Z and Rihanna collected a hefty sum from Samsung for offering up their albums exclusively to its customers. In 2013, Nielsen presented a study that outlined how music fans who spend money online still have some expendable income left. To solve that problem, Nielsen suggests offering exclusives like behind-the-scenes content and apps. That concludes The Dispatch. If you like our show and you want to give us a hand, we would love for you to leave us a rating or a review in Apple Podcasts. I'm Kalila Dews. Till tomorrow.